ushers at this time, if they'd come, storm, and uh, then if they'll make their way this morning. Uh, and we are doing our offering a little bit different. We're going to still do our meet and greet, but as we do our meet and greet this morning, we're going to ask you to bring your tithes before it. Let me pray over the offering, and then immediately following, we'll go straight into the offering and the meet and greet. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray today that you would bless the gift, and Lord, bless the gift and the giver, and bless this offering for the upbuilding of your kingdom. And if there's someone here today that doesn't have the ability to give, we pray that sometime, Lord, you'd make a way that they could give, Lord, to show their love and devotion to you. And Lord, we ask that everything that we collect today would be for the furtherance of your kingdom, and that, Lord, we would reach many sons and daughters to the Lord and see people saved, sanctified, and filled with your precious Holy Spirit. And for that, we give you the praise and the glory and the honor of the people of God together said. Amen. Amen. God bless you this time. Let's bring our offering to the Lord. Time. We're going to ask those that are leading in Scripture and prayer to make their way this morning. They're going to lead us in Scripture and in prayer and uh, making their grand entrance here. And uh, then, we'll, then, then we'll jump right back into worship this morning. Okay, I was back there saying hello. <clears throat> this morning, we have a card from Dale and Dennis. It says, thank you. We want to thank you, the church, for the food and the visit. It meant a lot to us for all you're giving. And thanks for the calls. Thanks, Dennis and Dale. And Dale, we're so happy to see you here this morning. The Lord is good. Amen. 
you know, when people aren't here, you miss them. And when there's a place that you're used to looking out over here and seeing somebody sitting there and they're not there, you, your heart feels a little empty too. We're so happy to see you're here this morning. Psalms 142 says, Thou art my refuge. I cry to the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knowest my path. And the way wherein I walked, have thy privily laid a snare for me. Have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for myself. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, and I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. You ever felt like just everything's against you, that everything seems to be going wrong? David was in a cave when he wrote that. And he prayed the Lord and says, deliver me. I trust in you asking for your deliverance and he did so when you're surrounded by troubles you're surrounded by people that don't seem to care you're surrounded by people that are just giving you a hard time for whatever reason maybe it's youngins maybe it's husbands uh, the Lord can deliver you from all of that you just have to trust in him and lift him up so let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning Kind Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise your holy name, Lord, for this opportunity to come before you. Lord, we thank you that you do surround us, Lord, with your angels, that you lift us up and help us. Lord, that you provide for us deliverance when everything else seems to fail. Lord, we thank you for touching those that have been sick. Pray you will continue to bless them, continue to help them, Lord, because I know that you can. Lord, I pray that you will continue to abide with us in this service today, that your word will go forth and spread like it did to all of Samaria and Judea and all the earth, Lord. Pray you'll be with the minister this morning, Lord, as he delivers the message. Our pastor, Lord, our shepherd, be with him, strengthen him, give him the word you would have us to hear, Lord, that we can use it for thy glory. We ask all this in Jesus' holy, precious name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Let's stand this morning. Let's go right back into worship. Scripture says in Revelation that the angels cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And so this morning, we're going to declare that the Lord is holy today.
For Father, I see that you are drawing a light in the sand, and I want to be standing on your side, holding your hand. So let your kingdom come, let it live in me. This is my prayer, oh, this is my plea. Worthy of all the 
Blessing. 
lifted over. Can we just sing this together? For you're the Spirit of the living God. Oh, fresh morning. Oh, he's the Spirit of the living God. Spirit of the living God. All fresh on me. today will you build me that verse one more time. Spirit of, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that your spirit that we feel already in this place would rest upon us in this moment. Let the spirit of the living God fall fresh on us today. God, don't let the words that I say be heard. Let your word be heard. Don't let me be seen, but let you be high and lifted up to draw all men unto yourself. Speak to our hearts, melt us, mold us, make us, form, fashion, shape us to being more like the image of Christ Jesus. So that one day we can say, fill us, use us. And then one day declare, decree and declare like the angels of heaven, for he is holy is the Lord, God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And for that, we decree and declare this in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord's holy and precious name. And the people of God together said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Brother Storm, I'm going to need your help. If you will take these right here and make sure everyone gets one of these out of this. Will you hand that to Brother Storm on the way out? Everybody needs to get one of them. Uh, just they, they should be uh, perforated. You can rip them off. But everyone in this building... I need them to get one of those young, old, even if they, you go ahead and pass them out. Everybody can have that. If you have your Bibles, I do want you to go with me to the book of Acts chapter uh, number 9. Acts chapter number 9. And I have misplaced, oh, there it is. I was about to say I misplaced my timing mechanism. <laughs> You'll be here all day if I do that. I won't know what time it is. Sorry. Well, Glory. Well, the psalmist David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And because I'm glad you're here, let me make a couple of public service announcements. Parents, take your kids home with you today. We love them. You can leave them, but they're going to get left because I ain't staying. So love them, leave them, like them, whatever, but bring, take your kids home with you. Those watching online, you can always download the Our Church app 
and look up the name Santee Circle COG. It's also in Google and Apple uh, stores. The website, SanteeCircleCOG.org, has all our information. You can always subscribe to our podcast to listen to services. Uh, if you were say, Pastor, I didn't come prepared to give, that's okay. You can go online. There's multiple ways you can give. You can do it on the website. You can mail it. You can bring it next week, however you want to do it. Um, don't forget this Wednesday night, uh, Brother and Sister Crosley will be teaching uh, the Bible study. It is in the Fellowship Hall. Remember, not in here. We meet in the Fellowship Hall now on Wednesday nights. Uh, I will not be here. I get the illustrious privilege of going to work Church of God Youth Camp. Yay. Uh, they're short. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I hope I survive. I did buy a lot of Gatorades just so I can live and goldfish because camp food's horrible. Um, been there, done that, got a T-shirt. I know everybody says, oh, I love the experience of camp. I don't. Food stinks. I like food too much. I do not like those cardboard pizzas, you know, that you get, you know, lunchroom cafeteria. Those things look like you could flop them up against the wall and they're wallpaper paste. They just stick and you just paint over them. It's nasty things. But, you know, God's going to help us through it. I may lose a little weight. That might help me button these pants better. So maybe camp's a good thing for me. We shall see. But uh, I'll be at camp this week. Uh, Brianna will be in town. She's praising God for that, that I'm going to camp this week. She's excited about it because she has the house to herself. (laughs) And no one saying, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? Or anything else. So, But you're in good hands. Brother and Sister Calsey will do an, immacu- an incredible job. They did a, such an incredible, she did a incredible job two weeks ago uh, talking about continuing about the body functions of the body of Christ and how different spiritual organs that we need in the body of Christ. And if you missed it, shame on you. But uh, you should have been there. But it was good. Uh, and everybody we got, everybody's getting one. If you don't have your thing yet, Brother Storm will get you one. Everyone should have one. Uh, he's going to pass them out. Uh, no, I did not forget who you are. Uh, there is a reason you have these here in just a moment. Did everybody get one? We Everybody's got one? I guess I don't get one. That's cool. I don't need one. I guess they know who I am. Pre- appreciate it. Now I know where I stand. Appreciate it. God bless you. I did not forget who you are. You'll, by the time this service is over, you'll know why you need that. Acts chapter 9, begin verse 1. Once you have it, if you'll stand for the reading of God's Word, if you're able to do so. If not, we understand, but we want to honor the Lord with whom we are reading. So it's 10, I'm going to read out my Bible, if you'll just follow along on that for me, uh, so I don't have to look at this screen. Begin in verse number 1. Now Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked for letters of him to the synagogues of Damascus so that they found anybody belonging to the way, talking about the way of Jesus, that message of Jesus, both men and women, that they could bring them back to Jerusalem bound and in chains. And as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching the city of Damascus and suddenly a great light from heaven flashed around about him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he replied, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up, enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. I love it that Jesus always knows where I'm at, even when I don't know where he's at. He knows where I am. The men traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice 
but they didn't see anything. Saul got up from the ground. His eyes were open, but yet he could see nothing. He was blind. So they led him by the hand. The man that was leading them to arrest the children of the Lord is now having to be led by his companions because he's blind. And They brought him to Damascus, and for three days, everybody should know by now I'm big on biblical numerology. The number three is of divine order, divine completion. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jonah in the belly of the great fish, three days. Jesus in the heart of the earth, three days. It's a number of divine completion. Three days he saw nothing. But he also didn't eat or drink for three days. He fasted for three days. Can I tell you, we're going to go to chapter 13, if you'll flip over to chapter 13, but can I tell you that when you get alone with God, even if God has to spiritually blind you from time to time, when you get alone with Him for just a few days, He'll speak to you on what you are to do next. Listen to what happens. there. Now we're in chapter 13. Look at what happens in chapter 13. Just a few chapters over. Look at the change of this story. Now there were in Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manin, whom they had brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. Same Saul. Same guy we just read about. He's now in church. Isn't it nice when you've been praying for somebody to get saved and they finally come to church? He got to church. They were ministering unto the Lord, fasting. He already knew how to do that. And praying. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, the same guy that I talked to a few chapters over. You tell Saul, I want something from him. I've called him to a work. They called them to a plan that I have for them. So then they fasted and prayed, verse 3. They laid their hands upon them, praying for them. And then they blessed them and sent them out to do the work. And being led by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there, they sailed unto Cyprus. When they reached Salmas, they began to proclaim the word of the Lord in the synagogues of the Jews. The same place Paul was trying to take them out of. He's now going to share the gospel. And they also had John as their helper. John, whose surname was Mark, who also wrote the gospel of Mark. But look at verse 9. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared at him. And we'll talk about what it was that he was staring at in that moment when he got there. But notice the change of name. This is the first time in Scripture you find the recognition of his name going from Saul to the Apostle Paul. And from this point forward, you always hear him referred through the rest of his writings, his epistles, and through the rest of the book of Acts by the name Paul. This morning I want to talk to you on this idea. Hello, my name is. Hello, my name is. But you see there's a blank there. Because some folks keep answering by names God never intended for you to be called by. Let that sink in for a minute. Some people still associate themselves by things in their past and answer to names of things in their past that God never intended you to still be called by. God didn't still call you to be a liar. He called you to be saved. God didn't call you to still be living in sin. He called you to come out from the darkness and be set apart and come be called out of darkness into His marvelous light. We have got to realize we are the child of a one true king. We can't be called by what we used to be known as because God gave us a new name written down in glory. 
Don't keep answering to names you never were intended to be called by. Heavenly Father, to the very best of my ability, help me to preach your word today to the people of God. Help me to speak what only you would want me to say today. God, I pray that, Lord, for the next few moments, under the sound of my voice, that, God, we would not only be hearers of the word, but doers thereof likewise. Let us experience in such a powerful and special way the touch of heaven as it comes down and makes residency in this building today. I pray that you would let every eye be open, every ear be open, and every heart receptive to the word that is to be spoken in this moment. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And the people of God together said amen. Amen. Sister Tana, if I could get a little bit of this in my monitor above my head today, uh, the headset in the monitor above me. Hello, my name is. For some folks, when they go to corporate America events or whatever, they'll give you these little tags that you have. And they'll walk in and you, they want you to write your name with a magic marker and they'll put it on the left breast of your shirt and you walk around and the reason is because they want to be able to know how to identify you when they speak to you. They want to walk by and be like, well, hello, uh, uh, Randy, how are you? My name is Jonathan. They want to, to, to come to that connection, if you will. In fact, in hospitality school, yes, there is such a thing for that and, and, and called hospitality management and tourism. In hospitality school, they teach at, at that when you go out to eat, that if you see that your waiter or your waitress has a name badge on it, that you are, be, you are more likely to, statistically speaking, receive better service if you identify them by their name rather than just, hey, you. If the lady's name is, let's say, Wendy, for an example, and it's cross-stitched across her Cracker Barrel apron with three stars. Brother James, when she comes to my table and she says, can I take your order? I say, yes, Wendy, I'd like a, a, a half-cut tea, half-sweet, half-unsweet. Thank you so much. When she brings it back, says, can I go ahead and take your order? And then, you know, I may give her the order. And throughout, if she says, is there anything? No, Wendy, we're doing great. Thank you so much. I'm building that connection. It drives my wife nuts. She says, we don't have to be friends with everybody. She says, they don't care who you are. They don't need to know who you are. We don't need to know who they are. Can we just eat? But it has been scientifically and analytically proven that it creates this bonding, if you will, because they feel like they're important because you've made them feel like they're important. So they'll serve you better. You start being like, hey, you, my tea's empty. Yeah, yeah you, you, you probably going to get something in that tea with it. <laughs> you know? If you're lucky, yeah, if you're lucky to even get the tea back. The reality of it is, Names carry association. Paul, who is surnamed Saul, all as well, was born. Statistically, they say, and historically speaking, they say he would have been born around probably the same time that Jesus Christ was on the earth. He wasn't a believer. His circumcision name, the name that he got at birth from his circumcision Hebrew, was Saul. He was probably also given the term the surname Paul at infancy for his use in the Gentile world because Paul had two different parents. He had a Jewish parent and he had a Gentile parent. So he would have had two different names, one that identified him in the Romans. If you remember later in his life, he petitions when they are you know, abusing him. He said, I'm a citizen of Rome. And all of a sudden they back off and said, whoa, we're not supposed to treat Romans and beat them like we're doing you. And he petitioned to go to Caesar because he had Roman citizenship. They said, I thought you were Hebrew. He said, well, my daddy was a Jew, but my mama 
She was of Roman descent. So he had both names. His name Saul was his Hebrew name. He was a native of Tarsus, the capital city of Cilicia, the Roman province of Asia Minor. Literally, it is modern-day Turkey. If you want to know where that would have been, he would have been literally from modern-day Turkey. He was born. He spent his youth there. He enjoyed education of the city that it could have, the best it could afford. According to the book of Acts and the book of Philippians, uh, the, his father was of the straightest sect of Jews. He was a Pharisee out of the tribe of Benjamin, and he was a purebred. His father was 100% Jew. We don't really know a lot about his mother, but we can infer that there must have been some kind of pious about her because she, along with her husband, obviously taught her son about character and how to speak and be educated because even according to Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 and 6, that he had experienced righteousness through the law blameless. He knew the word frontwards and backwards. He had been taught it by his parents. He also had learned to trade through his Jewish heritage. He had learned how to be a tent maker. In fact, that's what he was doing as a job, a vocation, before he got called to the ministry. He made tents with a group of people by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. They were professional tent makers. Paul, also about 13 years old, was sent to Jewish school because that would have been his daddy's dream. He would have sent him to a Jewish school in Jerusalem to learn how to study the law because the Pharisees were all about the law. They weren't about going to the temple. The Sadducees were the rich people. They were the upper class of society. There were four sects. There was the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. The Zealots... They were Italian-type people. They were trying to kill everybody that came in sight. They were, they, were, they were rebels with a cause. The Essenes, the Essenes were nomads. They went out into the desert. They hid out in the desert. They prayed and fasted, and they lived like nomads. The Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection, but they were all about temple worship. They were all about going to the temple, Solomon's temple, Herod's temple. They were all about that. But the Pharisees were like your middle class to lower class, and they were all about the law. What did my daddy say? What did my mama say? What did the Torah, what did the law, the books of Moses, what did they say? And during this season of time, Paul would have studied that. We know that. Because he talks about that he was a pupil of a rabbi by the name of Gamel. He studied at the feet of Gamel. He spent years there. So he knew the Bible. Can I tell you that just because people know the Bible doesn't mean they live the Bible. You can know the Bible frontwards and backwards, but that doesn't mean you live it. And there are a lot of people that don't have a probably an eighth grade education and barely can read the Bible, but they certainly know how to live it because they know that God is all they've ever had. They, you know, I've got people in my family, they never finished high school. They, you know, they might have eventually went back and got a GED, but they never graduated with a diploma. They didn't go to college. They don't have the educational pedigree that others have, but they knew how to pray because God was all they had when they had no money in the checkbook. And God was all they had when they had no food on the table. God was all they had when they only had one car, and that car was broke down. God was all they had when the washing machine went out, but there was no parts to fix it and no money to pray the guy to come to fix it. So they would take the oil that they had in their house. They'd go anoint the washing machine. They go anoint the hood of the car. Why? Because they believe if God be for me, there's nothing's going to be against me in this moment. You see, I've had family members that anointed cars to start because they died on the side of the road. I've had people, I know I have people in my family that anointed washing machines to run. 
They went out there, washing machine wasn't running, they poured oil on I was like, that ain't going to work, that's going to make it work. And all of a sudden, the washing machine kicks in. I was like, wow, that worked after all. They prayed over the washing machine. But they had faith in God could do anything. Apostle Paul knew it. But after the crucifixion, this new sect of religion from the Nazarenes, this, this lifestyle of this man called Jesus of the Nazarenes, began to take root, and after Pentecost, two years after Pentecost, the Christianity world was continually to grow and influence, and it was affecting Judaism, the sacred law. And it was, you know, they were preaching things like, yes, we want to still honor Moses' law, but there's, there's now grace that covers the law. And there was these messages, and Paul was like, no, 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 you're, you're desecrating that. And so he decided to take matters into his own hands by starting to try to snuff out to stop this propagandized gospel. He was known as Saul of Tarsus. He was there the day that many rioted against a man who was one of the greatest, probably, orators of the word of the Lord. There was a man standing there preaching this man called Jesus. But Paul was there when men came by and laid their feet in Paul's hands and grabbed stones and dragged a man by the name of Stephen to the outer courtyard of the city and stoned him to death because he decreed and declared Jesus as Lord of all. And even as in his death, Stephen says, Behold, I see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Father and cried out and died. Paul was there and watched it happen. He saw this faith. He was a part probably of the great Sanhedrin, this group of people that came together to defend their religiosity. So can I tell you, we're living in a day and an hour that people nowadays have more religion than they have relationship with Jesus Christ. They're quicker to defend their religiosity. That they, well, I go to church three times a week. Yeah, but you don't live like you've been to church three times a week. Hello? That's good preaching. Y'all, somebody should say amen right there. That was, I felt good saying that. People go to church, they just don't live like they've been. Oh, I go to church. I got people in my family. Oh, I go to church. I'm like, yeah, but the church ain't done nothing good for you, obviously, because you ain't got nothing good in you. You need to go one more service because something ain't working. They'll go to church. They'll give to charity. They'll give to people. They'll bless people. They'll give stuff away. They'll do all that kinds of stuff, and you're just thinking, oh, they're just, the, they'll give you the shirt off their back. They're the nicest people. And you're thinking to yourself, yeah, except you're going to miss heaven because you've got it all wrong. You don't know who Jesus is. You can give every dime you have in your checkbook away, and you can be the greatest, you know, ambassador for missions and, and give all this stuff away you want to. But if you don't ask Jesus Christ into your heart, you wasted your money. Hello? I must have went to a nominal church today. I'll preach to myself. God bless me. See, there's some things, though, that I have discovered in my own personal life, and then after observing through counseling and also just sitting around, I, I go to, whether it's Brianna's family or other people's family, sometimes I'll go and I'll sit in a room for a while, and I'll take mental notes. I'll start reading people. It's like a favorite pastime of mine. I love it. I've already formulated how crazy you are before you even told me. Like I'm sitting there thinking to myself, yeah, I would not want to be friends with her. Ooh, that's a rough chick right there. That's good preaching. If, even if I am acting Baptist this morning, that's good preaching. I'll sit somewhere and I'll leave somewhere out there where I'm like, hey, did you see so-and-so? Yeah. What'd you, she'd say, what do you think about them? I said, oh, oof, girl. Mm. 
and she, man, I pray for her husband every day. She said, what do you mean? I said, oh, well, they're this or they're that. And she was like, really? I was like, oh, yeah. Come find out later. She was like, ooh, I see where you got that from. I read people. I like to read people. I'll go to the mall. One of my favorite things to do is go sit in the mall. Not to buy anything. I just sit on the bench to watch everybody else walk by so I can see how crazy people are. I'm like, yeah, people watching. It's, I love it. It's better than bird watching. People watching are a whole lot more fun than bird watching. Birds will stay perched for a long period of time. People will change on a dime. It's great. Wonderful. I love that stuff. But I've also learned something through watching people. Some people still identify by names that they should have long given up a long time ago. They got hurt in their past, but they're still identifying their self-worth by something that happened in their past rather than realizing that God called them to a greater purpose. There's people that I have sat, have the privilege of sat in my office and shared stories, and they talk about their self-worth and their self-esteem. They talk about how they're depressed and downtrodden. They'll talk about all this stuff. And I'll ask them, I say, well, you know, how long ago has it been? That's been 20 and 30 years. Brother Primo, they're still identifying with something that happened years ago. They've been in church. They've been in Bible study. They taught Sunday school classes. They have went to every revival service, but still have something they're identifying by that they never should have been carrying. Never carried it. It's like they're wearing the scarlet letter, if you will. They're just wearing their badge of honor. Hello, my name is hurt. Hello, my name is destroyed. Hello, my name is divorced. Hello, my name is widowed. Hello, my name is widower. Hello, my name is broke. Hello, my name is depressed. Hello, my name is sick. Hello, my name is... And it's all the wrong words. That's how they identify. The Apostle Paul... I want to talk to you for a few minutes, and we'll probably pick up part two next week for time's sake. But I want to show you something. The first thing I want to show you is sometimes just because God delays his arrival doesn't mean he's denying you a visitation. Just because God didn't come as soon as you called on him does not mean he's not going to come when he needs to make his appearance known. You don't believe it? You go, I'm not going to quote it to you. You know the story, though, in John about Lazarus. They called for Jesus many days before Lazarus ever died. They called him to come. Jesus tarried an extra couple days. Lazarus ends up dying. He tells his disciples, you know, we got to go wake him. Just because Jesus delayed did not mean Jesus had no intention of making an appearance. See, we have God, we put God in these boxes that if God doesn't move between the hours of 11 and 12.15, then it must not have been for me. Maybe God wanted to move at 12.17, not 15. But we had to get out of here because Gilligan's was going to run out of corn hush puppies before we got there. So we had to leave before we heard from God. Well, it got real quiet when I said that. Somebody must have been going to Gilligan's today. Well, I felt conviction from here. I wasn't going to Gilligan's, so it wasn't me. So whoever you are, I expect you're in the altar when this is over. See, what happens is we, we equate God not coming when I say him to come. Because we tell people all the time, well, God is as close as the very mention of a name. Yes, he is. That doesn't always mean he comes, though, when you call on him. He's not some little bellboy that you ring the bell and he comes every time you ring the bell. It doesn't mean he won't come, but he doesn't do it on the way you want it. He does it on his time because his ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. He works on a different platform than I run on. Apostle Paul was on his journey, ordinary day, doing day-to-day going to Damascus, arrest some people, bring them back to Jerusalem, throw them in jail. He thought he was doing what he was supposed to do, but God had a different set of plans. 
Just because God's delaying does not mean He's denying. He may be wanting to perfect us, change us, mold us, shape us. I, I love the story in Jeremiah 18 of the potter's wheel. Man, the, Jeremiah's taken out there and this potter is sitting at the potter's wheel and the water and he is being sprayed and, and the man, the, the potter is taking his hand and he shapes it, but the vessel gets messed up. Potter breaks it apart, if you will, and starts all over. And he makes something different out of it. But it turns out to be beautiful. And the Bible says that the Lord told Jeremiah, he said, this is what I want to do to the nation of Israel. They may be broken, but I'm going to make something beautiful out of them. And, right, and then I, Can I tell you, your brokenness can turn out to be beautiful when this is all said and done. Every hurt you've ever experienced, every tragedy you've ever walked through, whether it's you lost a loved one, whether you're divorced, whether you're bankrupt, whether you know maybe you've lost a child, no matter what you walk through, no matter how bad life has been to you, no matter how many tragedies you've experienced, God can make something beautiful out of it all. He'll give you beauty for ashes, the Bible says. He can let the whole place burn down, but he still can make something beautiful out of the ashes of life. Potter makes this wheel. Jesus, many of Jesus' miracles came after a series of delay. Romans 8.28 tells us, We know that all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purposes. God works it all out in his time. But while Paul is on this, see, Paul had a plan. I got to get to Damascus. I got to arrest him, and I got to get back to Jerusalem. But God delayed his plans. The old, the old uh, literary line is the best made plans of mice and men often go awry. It doesn't always go the way I want it to go. Sometimes the curveballs of life come along. You ever had something happen in life, you had it all planned out, and then it didn't go the way you planned it? Yeah, okay, I have the only one. Okay, good. Well, that's just me. All right, praise God. I'm glad you guys never have problems. Praise the Lord and have mercy. But I have had plans. They were supposed to go like this. My wife will tell you. Sometimes when I when the plan gets off, I ain't real happy about it. I don't like it when it don't work. She'll tell you that. We went, we've been to marriage counseling with each other because I counseled my own self in our marriage and said that was a dumb idea. I counseled me. And I even I didn't charge myself my fee though because I didn't want to pay for it. But the reality of it is that there are times that my plans in my head, I, well, this has got to happen, this has got to happen, this has got to happen. And then what happens, it didn't go the way, and I'm frustrated. It's not the way I had it planned out. I had a plan. We were going to be here at 8. We were going to be here at 1. We were going to be here at 3. We were going to be there at 5. And then when something happened at 3, and it made me not get there at 5, I'm frustrated. Frustrated. didn't change anything. It wasn't like I was going to fix it, but it didn't change anything. But I'm frustrated. Now, I'm agitated. Paul was delayed on his journey. But he was delayed because God was going to deliver him. See, sometimes our delaying moments of life, these delays God sends us in, is nothing more as a divine setup for God to do something we couldn't have done without him. God sometimes delays us because he knows if we keep going our way, we're going to mess the whole thing up. But if we do it God's way, it will all work out in the end. Because sometimes my plans are going to screw it up. I know I look smart, but I'm not as smart as I look sometimes. That's why I've surrounded myself with a lot more educated people, because I do dumb stuff. And I tell you that sometimes God knows that. So sometimes he'll put chalks in the wheel 
Sometimes he'll put detours along life's way. Sometimes he'll divert me off of the pathways of life. Not because he wants me to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Because he's trying to hurt me. But he wants me to know that I don't have to fear. Because even there he's in the valley with me. He's there when I need him most. Because sometimes my, my delays and my detours are God just setting me up to do something better that I couldn't have done on my own. Paul has this encounter. He's physically blind, but he is spiritually enlightened in a blink of an eye. The Word of God tells us the enemy will come and try to set up snares and entrap us. He'll do whatever we can. But do you realize when you're blind, you're limited? Yes, the other four perceptors of the body will be heightened and your smell will be stronger and your, ear, your hearing may be better and your sense of taste and touch, but you're still limited. can't drive. No matter how good you smell, you can't drive. Just because you have good smell don't mean you can drive. Some of y'all got good, some of y'all can drive and aren't real good at driving either. But, you know, and you're not even legally blind and you can't drive. But the reality of it is there are limitations if you're blind. You can't drive. There are some things, yeah, you might learn how to do certain things differently. But one thing about blindness, though, when you're blind, you don't see distractions because you can't see them. You can't see them. You also don't have the luxury to always go on your own. Most of the time you have to have someone or something leading you. If someone's not holding you by the hand, you have to have one of those long sticks. And you have to tap the things in front of you because if not, you're running and things. So either someone or something has to lead you. You are, if you will, uh, attached to or dependent upon something or someone to lead you along the way. That's the reason they put those blinders on those horses so they can only see where they're going. They don't want them to go to this street or that street. They don't want them to get distracted by what the horse over here is doing. And, and, and they want them to stay focused on the tasks that are at hand. Sometimes God puts spiritual blinders on us because he doesn't need us to look to the left. And he doesn't want us to look to the right, but he wants us to look straight ahead. Because if I look to the left or to the right, I will sink, I will fall, I will find myself in the pit of despair, and it will take me away from the plan God had for my life all along. Sometimes our spiritual blindness, God is waiting for us on those dark, dusty roads and, and those seasons because he wants us to see his light. You know how you know if you have light? You only know if the light works if you're in a dark room. If we go outside, and we, I gave you all a flashlight right now, we went outside, and I said, shine it towards the sun. Nobody look at the end of the flashlight. Everybody stand right here and shine it towards the end of the driveway to our church sign. And said, hey, tell me, tell me when the beam hits the sign. You know what you're going to be able to do? Not tell me because you can't see it because the light's going to be overtaken by the sunlight. It's going it's to just drown it out. If it gets pitch black dark tonight after service tonight, and I hand you that same flashlight, and I said, now put that flashlight and sign it on, shine it on that sign. You know what you're going to be able to do? Find the beam because it's going to be in a dark room, but it's going to shine it on the sign. You'll find the beam. Sometimes you don't know what it's like to see the light of God unless God puts you in dark situations because you'll never recognize the light unless you're in a dark place. You can't know it. There's no way to know if the light is shining if you've never been in the dark to see it. Turn on. Delivered. The purpose of being delivered is not to validate who God is. God already knows who he is. The purpose is for us to realize we can still hold on to God's unchanging hand. That's the purpose. But there's another thing. Paul also became determined. When he got up from this, the, the, the word determined means to reach a final decision, firmly resolved. Acts 8 and 3 said Paul was determined to destroy and distinguish the message of Jesus Christ. But by the time we get to Acts 13, Paul's determined for everybody to know who Jesus is. 
What a change in scenery. He heard the message. The enemy wants us to think God can't fix it. God won't do it. Destroy our families, our children, our homes, our churches. The enemy doesn't play games. He plays for keeps. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That is not an either or. That is a definite statement. The enemy doesn't want you to know what God can do because he knows that if you ever figure that out, you're a threat to the kingdom of darkness. See, he, wants you to, he doesn't want you to know your purpose in life. People want to know the why questions. Well, why this? Well, why that? Sometimes I don't know the answer to why, but I can point you to the one who does. God. He knows why. He's determined to tell the story of determination. I want you to see what determination really looks like. I can't go with that girl. I have to get back to my dad. Oh, Nobody touch him. Nobody touch him. Can you help me? No. You get yourself in there, you can get yourself out. Uh, I just want to see him do it, okay? Calm down. Now, alternate wiggling your fins and your tail. I can't. I have a bad fin. Never stop me. Just think about what you need to do. you to understand about determination sometimes you got yourself in the situation sometimes you got to figure out how to get yourself out of it but sometimes God is like Gil people are going to surround you oh my God oh my God oh my God Lord I'm, how are they going to do it oh help them. oh Jesus oh Jesus oh God help them. oh Jesus and sometimes God is don't touch them don't touch them they got themselves in there and get themselves out. Well, that's a heartless thing to say, preacher. No, no, that's not what God said. God's not heartless. You know why Gil didn't get him out? Because Gil knew he could get himself out. God doesn't have to get you out of things you should get yourself out of. We sometimes want God to get us out of things that we should have never been in. So it's our responsibility to get ourselves out because God never wanted us in there to start with. We want God to get us out of the mess we put ourselves in. But sometimes God said, no, 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 you got in it. You get out of it. I'll help you. But I'm not going to fix it. I'm not going to wave my little magic wand and make it easier. you got to figure out how to get out of this. Because you know what he was teaching Nemo? You won't get up, sucked up that thing again, will you? You'll stay away from the filter next time, won't you? Because sometimes you got to learn the hard way not to keep going the same path you've always been going. Sometimes you got to swim on a different stream. And sometimes you got to get out of the tank that you've been holding. And that little tank, they're, they're boxed in. All the other people are like, oh, my gosh, she's going to die. He's going to die. He's going to die. He's going to die. All this stuff. And Gil's like, just wait. If you ever watch the rest of the story, they help him get out of that tank and get back into the ocean to find his daddy. Again, see, sometimes God just needs you to start thinking outside the box. Some of us have been put in that proverbial fish tank of life. You're going to be stuck if you keep thinking about the fish tank. Sometimes you've got to think about how am I going to get back in the ocean. You've got to get back in the ocean. The reality of a determination is sometimes I might got myself in a sticky situation, but I'm going to figure out how to get out of this situation. Gil was like the voice of reason. He told him how to do it. He said, you do this, and you do this, and you do this. Don't touch him. Let him follow it. Well, God told you too. God was the voice of reason. 
God gave us plenty of thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shouldn't, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. You live like this, this is the outcome. Blessed is, you're going to be blessed in the field, you'll be blessed in the city if you do this. God gave us plenty of instructions on how to live. Sometimes it's not about God waving his magic wand over our lives. It's about us just doing what he already told us to do. Just follow what I tell you to do. Gil told Nemo, hey, do this, do this. Well, I can't do it. You've never been in my situation. Pastor, you don't know. you never walked where I've walked to. You've never been where I've been to. Nemo said to Gil, you don't understand. I got a, bad, I got a little fin. I got a messed up fin. I'm different than everybody else. I can't do this. And Gil said, it never stopped me. I've had problems too, son. It never stopped me. See, I'm here, right here to tell you, don't think you're the only one that's ever had a problem. We've all got problems. Now, some people might be better at hiding their skeletons in their closet, but you all got a skeleton in somebody's closet. But you've got to be determined. The old song says, I'm more determined than ever before to make heaven my home. You have got to make sure you are determined where you're going. Sometimes you got yourself in it. Sometimes you got to get yourself out. Let me quickly say this. The Apostle Paul's name, the Apostle Saul, excuse me, Saul's name, meant to ask, to question, or to pray for. Paul's name meant little, small, or humble. Paul changed his name, not God. God didn't say change your name, son. God said, Abram, you're going to be called Abraham. God said, Jacob, you're going to be called Israel. God changed people's name, but he did not change Saul's name. Saul's name was asked for, questioned, prayed for. It is possible, maybe, that Paul gave up his Hebrew name because he realized he hadn't been living the way he should have been lived. But he also knew that his Hebrew name that meant prayed for or the question or to ask. But his Roman name meant little, small, or humble. So what Paul was really saying is, I need to be identified not as Saul. I have asked God. I have prayed for it. But I need to be reminded that my name is Paul. Why? Because that means I am little and I am small, and I am humble, because every time somebody said today, this morning, we're going to have Pastor Paul come and preach, you know what he was saying? Little is much when God is in it. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt me in due time. It reminded the Apostle Paul of how little he was compared to how great the God he is that he served. It reminded him of who he was. Paul didn't want to associate himself with the past. He wanted to remove the things that were clung to him that never should have been attached to him. Miss Carol, as you make your way. There's a story of a man who went out to play golf one Saturday morning and his wife was concerned that he had not returned home by dinner time. It was about midnight when he came through the door. Frantically, she said, where have you been? I've been playing golf. That was 18 hours ago. I was having the best game of my life, honey. I was two shots under par on the seventh hole when Harry died of a heart attack. The wife still understand and said, why did it take you so long? You know what she said? Well, it took me a long time because after I hit the ball, I'd have to go back and pick up Larry and drag him back. He was determined to finish his round of golf. <laughs> he wasn't going down without a fight. He was determined. Can I tell you, sometimes in life, you also, the last one, the last point today is to be, you have to be deliberate. D-E-L-I-B-E-R-A-T-E. You have to be deliberate. Deliberate. Because sometimes you've got to make sure you know what you know. And you do 
what you do. And you serve. I can't serve God for you. You got to serve God for yourself. I can preach it. You got to live it. Well, that's good preaching even if nobody said amen. I can tell you, you have to do it. You have to be deliberate. Deliberate. See, I read a story of a guy that was at the St. Andrews Golf Course in New York City. He was playing golf with an older seasoned golfer. They were playing a game together. The younger golfer was full of pride. He thought he was the best of the best. First hole, he sliced the ball. Second hole, he lost it in the grass. And, and over the course of the first nine holes, he just was playing horrible. He got frustrated and yelled at his caddy, keep your eyes peeled. Do your job. Every shot, he blamed the caddy. Finally, on the ninth hole, he said, I, I'm done with you. You're fired. Just go on home. I'm done with you. Good riddance. I'm just finished. As they completed the round of golf, around the hole 17, the silence broke. And the older golfer said to the younger golfer, there was several years ago that this little kid from New York came down here to be a caddy. He was a sweet-natured little boy, quick-witted. He had a nose for golf. Everybody liked him. His name was William. But he had a club foot. But it didn't affect his ability to caddy for some of the best golfers. It was a pleasure to go with him. One day a famous doctor came to the club and played golf and he took an interest in William. And, that's, and that winter he brought him down south and operated on his foot. When William returned he went back to caddying. The doctor however due to his age had to give up golf shortly after that. Not long after that he died. Months later I was playing around with William. He was carrying my bag and it was springtime and the fields and hedges were full of blossoms. William stopped several times and gathered flowers. And I said to William, William, who's the girl? He said, sir, I don't have a girl. They're from my friend, the doctor, who I go take flowers twice a week to that saved my life. The younger golfer looked with tears in his eyes to the older golfer and says, now that's a guy I would want to be my caddy. He is a good guy. Whatever happened to William? The older man paused and replied, for the last nine holes, he was the guy carrying your bag that you just sent home. See, sometimes we don't want to take responsibility for our own actions. We'd rather put them on somebody else. When God needs us to be deliberate in our pursuit of him, but also be deliberate in our passion for him. But sometimes you got to take responsibilities for your own self, too. So I conclude with this. Some people have wrote on their little hello, my name is. Some people have wrote lost. Hello, my name is hurt. Hello, my name is regret. Hello, my name is tragedy. Hello, my name is abortion. Hello, my name is divorce. Hello, my name is widow or widower. Hello, my name is broke. They wrote a lot of names on their life. Can I just really quickly before we dismiss, can I give you some encouragement? You should write, my name is redeemed. My name is forgiven. My name is set free. My name is set apart for the master's use. My name is changed. My name is child of God. My name is whatever you choose to be to answer to by what you're called. If you want to still be called broken,
And by golly, you keep doing that. But I came by to tell somebody, you can answer to a different name. Write a new name. Write a new story. Write a new chapter. Take that same little sticky thing that I gave you. Put it in your Bible. Whatever you want to put. Don't put my name as Sandy or my name as Jennifer or my name as what. You put my name as whatever. But you make sure you're ready to be called by that name. Because when I go to heaven, I don't plan on being called Jonathan. I plan on being called redeemed, set free, forgiven, set apart, changed, child of God. I don't care what God puts in the Lamb's book of life. I just want to be like the old song, when my name is called up yonder, I'll be there. So here's my altar call today. Craziest thing I've ever done in my life. Shocking, because I've done some pretty crazy ones. You're not coming to me today. You say, well, Pastor... That, that's weird. I, we, we, you know, whatever we like to come to the altar, that's great. You know what? Sometimes you got to do stuff for yourself. You don't need me. You got to be delivered. I just told you. Sometimes you got to do it for yourself. Take that. Hello, my name is. And whether it takes you 30 seconds, takes you two minutes. I'm going to give you about three minutes total time before I pray. But I'm not going to pray. It's going to be silent, except Sister Carol play it. But I want you to take that. Hello, my name is, and I want you to decide who you're going to be called. You gonna keep answering the names you never were intended to answer to, or are you gonna answer the names that God called you to be called? Now, if you walk up here and say, "Pastor, I want to give my heart to Jesus Christ," I'll be glad to take my pen out of my pocket and write "forgiven" for you. But I want you to know who you want to be before you call. I'm not gonna say, "Oh, well, I want you to be called redeemed." No, no. I want you to decide what you want to be known by. What do you want to be known by? So, as Miss Carol plays, I want you to decide right now. Take your pen, paper. Take your moment. If you say, Pastor, I really need to pray, be prayed for, because I don't even know what to write on my piece of paper, then you can come. If you absolutely have no idea what you want to be identified as, you can come up to me, and I will pray with you, and we'll try to come up with the Lord to speak to your name. But if you are able to do it in your seat, I want you to decide what do you want to be remembered as. Hello, my name is not Tina, not Henry. Hello, my name is what? What? What do you want to be known by? Take this time right now to do that, and in a moment we'll pray together. talk to me because we want to make sure that you can put redeemed, set free, forgiven whatever. but I don't want anybody to leave this place with a blank name in heaven I want them to make sure they know what their name is no blank names I don't want question marks I want a surety you are going to be there well, if I go to heaven tonight I want the surety that I'm going to see every one of you one day up there with me I need your name written right will you melt me, will you fill me will you use for you are the spirit of 
so fall fresh on let me pray for you today heavenly father to the very best of my ability i have preached your unadulterated word i have tried my best to share the gospel let everything that's been said or done be for the glory of my glory and honor of you the upbuilding of your kingdom father get ready to pray the benedictory prayer in just for a moment let you bless us and keep us your face shine upon us be gracious to us lift up your countenance Give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding and guard our hearts till you come again. Father, may the words of our mouths and meditation of our heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Before Brother Randy prays our benedictory prayer, for those that are able to say it won't be but about five minutes, but little Brantley has expressed the, uh, the uh, desire to be baptized today. So we felt up the fool this week because his dad has to be traveling to Guam in a couple weeks and will be gone for an extensive period of time and he said well pastor it's okay dad i can just send my dad a video of it i said it'll be a cold day before your daddy sees it on a video he's going to see you in person on your spiritual journey commit jesus christ to commit to having jesus christ as lord and savior of your life so if you're able to stay i'll stand at the back door just for a minute to shake your hand but it'll be right outside right up here by the children's uh, area we're gonna it's only gonna take 30 seconds basically we're gonna ask brantley does he know the lord and savior and he believes in all of those things we've talked already He'll answer the questions and we'll baptize him. We can go. But I want him to know there's going to be a church praying for him because we celebrate any child, teenager, young adult, middle-aged, old senior citizen, senior saint, anybody that gives their heart to Jesus Christ and wants to take the act of baptism, you better believe we're going to celebrate that. We're going to celebrate that. So as Brother Randy comes to pray, immediately following that, we will have that baptism. Brother Randy, will you pray for us today?